right. Welcome, everybody, to our experience in ASCP podcast. My name's Chad Wurz. I'm chief executive at ASCP. If you were here for our first inaugural episode, we talked about the origin story. The American Society of Consultant Pharmacists was started in 1969. The country was amidst a social revolution. Nursing homes were new and needed solutions, and their residents needed medications handled and managed. A band of early adopters stepped in and consulted, launching an entire new aspect of pharmacy. Today, we're really thrilled to have a guest with us that can take us on that next step. Years of innovation and and establishing procedures culminated in a system that is scalable and pharmacies consolidate into regional and national players. And of course, it all started, I think, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm from. (laughs) So I'm joined by my partner, Tom Hansel. Tom, how are you? Glad to be here. And uh, we have a special guest, Pat Keith. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I like to think you were, you were central to all that activity in Cincinnati when it all started happening in the 80s and 90s. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Pat Keith. I was the chief operating officer for Omnicare. And Omnicare as a public company was really the one that did the first roll up for the institutional pharmacy business. And because of that, I got a chance to get introduced to some of the early adopters in the industry. People like Ron Bauer at Interlock down in St. Louis, Sam Anlow in Illinois, Norm Jacobson in Chicago. And those are just a few of the names. But what I found interesting as we walked through this, I had a chance to reach out to some of those people and say, how did you get into the business? Why did you get into it? What precipitated you deciding that you wanted to become exclusively a long-term care pharmacy. And a couple of things stuck out to me. Most of them said that they already were in the retail business, but they saw that the retail business was uh, going to struggle long-term. They saw that the big chains were coming in and buying up pharmacies or opening one down the street that made it very difficult for them to compete. So they started to think, because most of them were very entrepreneurial in nature, what else can I get into? Many of them had been servicing a few nursing homes out of the back end of their retail store, but they really had no system for it. It was still mostly vials, but they saw that there might be an opportunity to offer services that were far above what a retail pharmacy could offer. And a couple of people stepped in early on to help them achieve those goals. One was a gentleman named Bill Hyman in St. Louis. Bill was a pharmacist. He actually graduated from pharmacy school with Ron Bauer at Interlock. And Bill basically was the first person to come up with a heat-sealed bingo card, something that the pharmacy could make and could then go out and be able to show a nursing home that this is better than having files and a bunch of plastic buckets sitting in your bedroom. Bill also came up with carts that could hold those bingo cards. And then one of the things that he did later on, which is really kind of very innovative, is through a software company he had, he basically was able to produce medical records. Previous to that, a lot of medical records were just forms printed off, sent back to nursing homes, and they had to fill them in by hand. Bill was the one that came up with this idea about let's automate this. 
And if you think about what he did, he basically was the first person to do kind of a distributed model. He had a big mainframe in St. Louis, and all these pharmacies that used his company, PCI, would send their medical records to him. He would then print them off and send them back so they could get distributed out to the nursing homes. That's how a lot of those pharmacies grew, because they were able to walk into a nursing home and say to the director of the nurses and to the administrator, look what we can do for you. We'll give you a bingo card that shows what time the patient should take it, what day. We're going to print your medical records for you. We're going to deliver the meds out to you on a timely basis. And they were able to roll up a lot of nursing homes in their area. This was also a time before there was much Med-A, there was no Med-D, so this was primarily a Medicaid business. So the administrator looked at it as, if this makes my director of nurses happy, why not? And the nurses loved it. So a lot of these pharmacies that got started used the idea that Bill Hyman came up with to do this. Now, Bill was basically a bingo card guy. The competition at that time was somebody that basically did a Drew Star, which was a unit dose system. And if you think about ASCAP, the genesis of it, the top salesman for Drew Star was Tim Webster, who eventually became president of ASCAP. <laughs> and Drew Star kind of took over states like Ohio. And Ohio was the first acquisition that Omnicare ever made. I have to really give credit to the person I worked for for some 30 years, Joel Gamunder. Joel was could be a difficult guy to work for, but he was the one that saw that there were all these strong regional players out there, had great customer service, and maybe what we could do was take those and roll it up into a national footprint so we could approach the big chains, the genesis of the world, to offer them our services. So what you have is you had Drew Star, the unit dose, and you had Bill Hyman basically kind of in the Ohio area. And then who was supporting these? Well, the second acquisition that Omnicare ever made was Beaver Pharmacy. It turned out to be the best one we ever made. It was the smallest one, one of the smaller ones. But what did we get out of it? Well, we got Jeff Stamps, who, in my opinion, is the best operator that the pharmacy, long-term care pharmacy business has ever known. And I think Jeff today is president of one of the other long-term care yeah. pharmacies. Remedy. Uh, Remedy, right. But more important, we got Mr. Beaver. Most people didn't understand that Mr. Beaver was probably more innovative than anybody else in the industry. Wow. What did Mr. Bieber do? Well, Mr. Bieber was one of the first ones to ever use a fax machine. Before that, people were calling in orders. He came up with this idea of a fax machine, and he was able to then convince most of the people in the industry that they could use fax machine and it would not be a fraud and abuse issue. And the government agreed with that. The other thing he did, and this is really fascinating, is... He had another company that most people didn't even know about, which was RNA. RNA in the Midwest did a lot of did the software and did a lot of medical records. Well, how did 
RNA run their medical records. Mr. Beaver went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and he rented a computer from the Air Force to run his software and run medical records. You talk to people in Ohio, home care, they were the people that basically then were able to start offering medical records, and that grew their businesses. Now, there were a lot of other innovators out there in the marketplace. Some people, like Norm Jacobson in Chicago, he developed his own software that could run his medical records. And Norm basically rolled up the Orthodox Jewish community in Chicago. And as a side note, because I dealt with a lot of these Orthodox Jewish owners, many of them purchased nursing homes, not just for financial, but for religious purposes. If their daughter married a young man and they wanted to be kosher so they could be home on a Friday night, they would make him initially kind of the lowest rung on the on the pole in the nursing home and eventually let him work up to become an administrator so they could get both the financial return and they could get the religious return. I found that fascinating and I found it very admirable. Also, who were the people that helped do this? Well, you had cart manufacturers, you had Bill Hyman in St. Louis, but you also had Art Aramic. That was his actually name and he made carts. He was basically in the Ohio area. So all of these nursing homes needed carts and the pharmacies then could provide them and the fax machines, medical records and start delivering. Now, back in those days, it was primarily a Medicaid business. So who helped them? Well, you had somebody down in Kentucky, Joe Shuddy, who basically was able to help a lot of these startup long-term care pharmacies get better purchasing because they could get better purchasing because they were a different class of trade. But as important, he had a little program that can help them show which generics they should purchase that would have the greatest spread so they could make the greatest amount of money off the generics. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you have a choice between two manufacturers for Lasix and you decide to pick one where the reimbursement is slightly higher and the cost is slightly lower, then your margins were improved. Those margins then led to them being able to buy more carts, hire more people and go out and do it. And then you had some interesting people that got into the business. You had a woman that was not a pharmacist. Her husband had been, but he had died. She took it over, Mary Lou Fox. Mary Lou Fox ran this incredible pharmacy up in Toledo, West Haven. And the guy that ran it for Rolf Schrader. Mary Lou Fox. He's our current treasurer in ACP. She was a great, she was a great marketer, but a horrible manager. (laughs) Rolf Schrader managed that pharmacy to basically make it one of the best Omnicare ever owned. What did Mary Lou do? She brought some pizzazz to the business. Before, most long-term care pharmacies, the way they marketed was so boring that they could put you to sleep. They went out and met with an individual nurse or an administrator. What did Mary Lou do? She did chocolate parties. I can remember going to one of the nursing home conventions in Northern Ohio. And all of these long-term care pharmacies basically had their booths. Where were all their customers? They were in the ballroom eating Mary Lou chocolates 
uh, and having her sell them on her pharmacy. Wow. Those were the kind of individuals that kind of set the tone for what the business was going to be like. So, Pat, that is fascinating. I mean, you dropped some names I was familiar with and then several that I did not know from an equipment side, but also just from a mentality side of forward-thinking trailblazers, if you will. When it comes to to Omnicare, you guys were also forward-thinking trailblazers. No one thought to acquire long-term care pharmacies and, and, and do a national reach, if you will. But your first acquisition, I believe, was Home Care Cincinnati, and I think Bieber's was the second, if I got my, my memory right. Going anywhere, being able to go anywhere in the nation and do anything, why home care Cincinnati? What what caused that to be your first acquisition? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I, I should have really brought that up at the beginning. Omnicare one time, and it's where I started my career, owned a company called uh, Hospital Pharmacies Incorporated, HBI. We contracted with hospitals to basically run their pharmacies for a variety of reasons. One, some of them were in rural areas they couldn't find a pharmacist. Some of them had lots of service issues and some of them were not needed the financial performance. That worked in the old days with cost reporting. By that, I mean that hospitals were able to put on their cost report the cost of the pharmacy. They could allocate overhead to it. They submitted that to the government and that basically is what they got paid. So if you think about it from a a contracting perspective, if a hospital contracted with HPI, we came in, we basically did a revenue share, we drove up their costs, we made money, but they were able to put all of that additional cost on their cost report and basically then get reimbursed by the government. Even better, they could allocate overhead to it so that they actually made more money. Well, when DRGs came in, that killed that business. Mm. So Omnicare sold the hospital pharmacy business to a company called Diagnostic in New Mexico, and I was there for a couple of years. They decided not to keep the nascent business that Omnicare started with the home care acquisition. Joel Gamunder, Ken Chesterman, and Tracy Finn had the idea that there might be a roll-up here. And so the first foray into that was home care. When they got to home care, they understood that 80% of the business was purchasing. So if we could be even better on purchasing, we didn't have to do a lot with payroll initially. So we made the acquisitions and Omnicare made a strategic decision. We were not going to change the names to Omnicare. All of the goodwill, all of the marketing that existed, existed because of Dave Scott, Tim Bean. They had the reputation. Home care is what everybody knew. So after we got home care, we realized, holy mackerel, there's a whole bunch of home cares out there. These guys are really great operators. They really care about the patient and they're clinically oriented. How can you not? win in a business like that. So that's when we sent Tracy on the road to say, how can we find more of these? And Beaver turned out to be the second one. With Beaver, like I said, we not only got Mr. Beaver, but we got RNA, 
We got Jeff Stamps. We got a whole bunch of people. And if you think about coaching, if you look at Mr. Beaver, the number of people that have come out of Beaver Pharmacy that are now senior leaders in the long-term care pharmacy industry, it's just astronomical. So after we did Beaver, we said to ourselves, where else can we go? Well, that's when we took a look around at where were there other opportunities? And that's where Bill Hyman came into play. Bill Hyman saw what Omnicare was trying to do. He knew all of these entrepreneurs who had spent years building their business up, but they didn't know how they were ever going to exit the business. How could they get anything for it? Bill Hyman saw that this was an opportunity to introduce those pharmacies to Omnicare so that he could help them achieve what they all wanted. They all wanted to basically be able to walk away with some money for their hard effort. And Omnicare was smart enough to say, why don't we buy them? But let's not ask them to leave. We had a philosophy that in the first six months when you made an acquisition, don't change anything. Why spend all that money and then come in and tell them how to suck eggs? That just Mm -hmm. made no sense. So we let them continue to keep their name let them continue to operate it. We asked them to do three things. Use our purchasing program, use our compliance program, and report their financials in a way that we needed the financials to be reported. But we didn't ask them to change dispensing systems. We didn't ask them to cut payroll. We just asked them to continue to do what they had. And what did they do for us? All of them lacked capital. They always knew they could grow their business, but they didn't have access to capital because they had to work it from their free cash flow. And as they grew, they would tie money up in their receivables. So Omnicare was able to become their bank and allow them to grow a lot faster. So with that, we were able to get Enloe Pharmacy in Illinois, Norm Jacobson up in Chicago, Ron Bauer at Interlock, Ronnie Freed over in Kansas City. We were able to then get David Wren down in Kentucky. We were able to get Jeff and Mike Arnold's pharmacy. And so you had people like Joe Shuddy that was helping with purchasing. You had people like MHA that were helping with purchasing. And the reason Joel said that this would work is he saw that that's what Beverly was doing. Who was the first real roll-up candidate? It was Beverly. Beverly owned nursing homes. They made a couple of acquisitions down in, I think maybe it was Alabama. Please forgive me if I'm wrong. I think it's correct. And there was a pharmacy down there. Well, they said, well, why not? And the pharmacy looked like it was making money. Why not just let that pharmacy service our buildings? So they really didn't roll up long-term care pharmacy. What they did is they provided pharmacy to their own facilities. We basically got ahead of the curve. We were able, the first ones, to be able to get in there. But the good part was there were so many good operators out there that we're able to contact with. Now, there were other people that didn't come with Omnicare. I mean, Phyllis in Columbus, she was really the one that started NCS. There were a number of other ones that got started that basically did it. And How did ASCAP help during that period of time? ASCAP was really a fraternity of entrepreneurs. It was always clinically oriented. But when all those guys got together and women, 
for the annual meetings, they shared information. Why? Because Herb Langston in Oklahoma wasn't worried about somebody from Ohio coming into his business. Dave Scott wasn't worried about Sam Enlow in Illinois or Ron Bauer in Interlock. So they were able to then share information. And with that, we had an explosion, explosion in technology. People like QS1, Prescott, a number of other operating systems came in and said, listen, there's a market out there. Let us bring more sophistication, particularly in terms of the billing side. So those operations got started. Prescott basically was part of NCS, and Omnicare, again, was fortunate enough that when we purchased NCS to acquire the Rescott system, and Omnicare had internally developed their own operating system. But Prescott was really a standard bearer, and a lot of people were using it. So out of that, and now what has happened since then, well, you can see the explosion in technology, the kind of packaging equipment that exists today. The other thing that happened that really accelerated kind of the growth in the business was the consolidation of the nursing homes themselves. For a long time, nursing homes were kind of standalone, five, six, seven. Well, then all of a sudden, some of these chains came along and started to buy up a lot of properties. And they did it two ways. They did it with what they call a REIT. They would buy the buildings and put it into a real estate trust. They would then contract with a management company to manage the buildings. Well, those management companies, then what were they looking for? They were looking for standardization. So that allowed somebody like Omnicare or Farmeric or some of the other people to go and say, listen, we have a pharmacy every place that you're at. We can provide standardized services. We can provide standardized reporting to you. And that allowed a lot of these companies like Omnicare to be able to win contracts with some of the larger chains, which then accelerated their growth as well. So what was one of the first larger chains, regional or national, that you can kind of earmark or remember as a huge success? Yeah, HCA up in Toledo. They were already using West Haven. And also, I should mention that we purchased Gary Cadillac in Michigan, mm-hmm. and he was servicing some of those facilities. And as you know, Gary, you know, was he's past president of APHA. Gary was a thought leader in the industry. Well, we went to them and said, listen, let us service all your buildings. We got pharmacies wherever you're at. And Joel Gamunder and Paul Orman, I hit it off. Now, we spent a lot of time up in Toledo. I never went to a Mud Hens game. I should have. I wish I could have <laughs> But uh, they hit it off, and we ended up doing a joint venture with them. That was one of the few joint ventures we ever did. But that was a way for us to get a foothold into the market. And then after that, we had a, the opportunity to work with Genesis because of the REIT got us in there. And again, we had a very strong relationship with Genesis. So those were kind of some of the first ones. Eventually we did life care down in Cleveland, Tennessee, Sava. But again, Omnicare wasn't the only one servicing various chains. There were other people out there that were doing it as well. 
mean, I don't want to make this an Omnicare promotion. No, I'm just saying that from my perspective, it was part of the roll-up strategy, and it worked very well because once we made, and we were very strategic in where we made acquisitions. We saw where Genesis, HCR was at, some of the other chains, and we said, well, we need a pharmacy here. So we would go and we would buy somebody. And uh, we did a few de novos, but we found that de novos did not work as good at just buying an existing long-term care pharmacy, giving them access to capital and helping them grow and making sure that they followed our systems. But we never really had a system operationally. It was really whatever that pharmacy was doing, we supported. So a lot of people would say, well, in Ohio, for example, we had Lomed, Tony Solaro, well, he was doing bingo cards. And I think Beaver and uh, Mary Lou were doing bingo cards. Somebody would say, well, you got two people to in two different systems. And we would say, well, they're both getting customers because some customers like one, some customers like the other. And some of our right. competitors were very frustrated because they would get down and they would say, well, listen, the last two guys that bidding on it are two Omnicare pharmacies. And the customer would say, well, I don't care about that. I just know that I like Lomed and I like Tony Solaro and I'm going to go with him. So we found that by not changing the names. Now, eventually, as we got larger and we had to do more consolidation, we did more changing names to Omnicare. But in the early stages, in the infancy, we basically left everybody alone. Well, you touched on a couple of things that I think are really contemporary today. And I know you've been away from this industry for a few years, but you talked about the real estate investment trust, that they're currently under a lot of fire from legislators over costs. And it seems from our perspective that CMS and the politicos here in DC are really after that type of a model. Do you have any like thoughts on that? Like how that came to be, why that became sort of a a way for nursing homes to fund themselves and get set up? And is it really a, a risk? Is it a, a risk in today's world? Well, and I'm probably wrong on this, but this is what I remember. The first time I really noticed this idea of separating the property from the operating company, they call it, you know, Opco Propco was in Florida. And why did it happen down in Florida? Well, at one time, if you drove down the highway in Florida, you saw billboards saying, has your mother been taken good care of in a nursing home? If not, 1-800-WE'LL-SUE-UM. Yeah. So nursing homes in Florida were getting inundated with lawsuits. And somebody came up with the idea, well, wait a minute. I can't place my whole company at risk for what's happening down in Florida, because what if they get a $10 million judgment against one patient in one nursing home and it jeopardizes my whole business? So that's when they came up with a strategy, and I'm not sure who did it first, of saying, let's separate the companies out. We'll have somebody buy the business, put it into a real estate trust, and we'll have somebody be the operator. And those operators will pay us back a lease payment back to the REIT. Where they got into trouble, some of them, not all of them, because some of them are good operators, is that if the operator was not making as much money as he needed to to pay the lease payment, what did he start doing? He started dragging out the receivables to all of his people. And what's the biggest receivable for a lot of nursing homes after the 60s, 70s, 80s? It's the Med-A. 
So a lot of these operators dragged out the receivables and placed a big burden on the long-term care pharmacy because all of a sudden, instead of having 60-day payment terms, these people were out 120 and 180 days. And some of the less than scrupulous operators would say basically, hey guys, we don't have the money. If you sue us, we don't have any assets. We'll give you 80 cents on the dollar and we're gonna cancel your contract. So that happened more than I would like to admit. Not the good operators, but some of the ones that basically had the REIT was asking for too much in lease payments. So I think there needs to be more transparency in this whole industry. I think people need to know who owns a nursing home. Are they standing behind it? Are they asking the people that are operating it to have enough margin to be able to pay back the lease payment and for the operator to make a fair return for his efforts and be able to pay all the vendors? So I think the more transparency, the better off we are because the good providers They'll probably not be too upset about this. You know, they don't want to do this, but they will. But some of the less scrupulous ones will not be real happy. That's a great answer. I appreciate that. I think the other thing that I find interesting from your perspective is the whole cycle of Omnicare. You did a great job describing it, how it started and how it reached its sort of golden era. It was purchased, as you know, by CVS a number of years ago. It's at a point now that I think it's CVS is looking to sell it or spin it off again. You know, what's your opinion of all that? What mistakes did CVS make? Listen, I want to be very sensitive. CVS came in and made a strategic decision to buy Omnicare. Yeah. Uh, All I would say, and this happened to us, we got into some segments of business. We got into some DME. We got into some infusion businesses. And we didn't do very well with it. And my analogy is that sometimes when a small company is part of a very large one, it isn't given the attention that it should. People start to make assumptions about the smaller company that they could improve things if they just did it the way the big company did it. Yeah. CVS is a retail operation, a very good one. Great people. I have a lot of admiration for them. A lot of stuff they've done has really been to the benefit of pharmacists and pharmacies and patients. But I think like with anything else, long-term care pharmacy is a different animal than retail. And some of the retail strategies may not be the most appropriate for a long-term care pharmacy. But I can't judge. I mean, you know, they came in, they bought it. They paid a fair price, quite frankly, from my perspective, because I left just about that time. Yeah. You know, what they did with the company from that point on, they owned it. They had every right to make whatever changes they wanted to make in it. And they have to live with those results. Well, I think it's, it's a great answer. And I think it, it circles back to some of your comments at the front end that, you know, when Omnicare started buying the pharmacies in Ohio and around the country, they knew to let the operators operate those pharmacies. They knew that the value was in those relationships that Mary Lou Fox had and Bill Bieber had. And it's almost like CVS came in and was like, well, we're going to buy this, but we know we're going to make it better. We're going to use you know, our experience and make it a better pharmacy. And they, what they should have done was maybe leave it alone a little bit and, and not allow either the 
the loss of some of that long standing expertise or letting it walk away or getting rid of that expertise and kind of thinking, well, we, we know what we're doing. So it's well, interesting. I would disagree with you. And here's why. I think they bought it at the time where there was an inflection in the business. Yeah. I think even if they hadn't, there were a lot of nursing homes that were getting ready to say, well, why am I not in the long-term care pharmacy business to serve my own buildings? There was a lot of disruption in the industry going on because of new technology that was coming along that maybe customers would say, I like better than what the old guys are doing, the Omnicares of the world. So I would say that maybe in retrospect, they might have purchased it at the time that none of us realized that the inflection was going to be as dramatic as it was, and that probably impacted some of the decisions they made and probably some of the losses they exhibited. It would have happened to us whether we sold it to CVS or not. Oh, so, fair point. Yeah, interesting. Right. So, so Pat, with that, now here we are. CVS has made an announcement back in November-ish timeframe that they were looking to to sell or, or, or release Omnicare. If you had the opportunity with all your experience before and, and, and after CVS's acquisition, what would you recommend if, if the CEO of CVS called you up and said, here's my thoughts, or maybe a new buyer, if someone else was going to come into this segment, come into this space, what would you advise them to do if, if they decide to acquire an Omnicare? Well, I would say if somebody's interested, call me up. I'll be glad to sit down with you for a nice fee and tell you what I think might happen. She's <laughs> so not going to give that information away for free, huh? <laughs> right. I would like to make a comment, though, about what did happen with Omnicare that made it even a stronger company. As I told you, we never ask anybody to do anything that they weren't doing before. And what we found is that, at least my perspective, because I visited every one of these guys uh, multiple times, every pharmacy we purchased was doing something better than everybody else. It was so interesting to see, well, they do their, their order entry slightly different. Look how they change their screens. Here's how they handle late night delivery, whatever it would be. And so what we did is we started to do best practices. We started to have a pharmacy that I was that we thought was struggling with delivery visit a pharmacy that had a great delivery system because it was amazing when they talked to their compadres, they were willing to make changes. They never would have if we would have done it from the top down. So a lot of best practices got put in place because we shared a lot of information that other pharmacies were doing. And then they were smart enough to say, listen, this makes me more money, makes my life less miserable, makes my customers happier, my patients better taken care of. Why not? So a lot of the innovation that took place in Omnicare was not anything that Omnicare did except listen to the people that were doing the business that really understood it and pick the raisins out of the cake. That's that's awesome. And I and I you know that's that again goes back to what you were talking about with ASCP being a place for networking and for sharing of information. So it was like a a microcosm of that opportunity which you know still exists today. Look what Rick Berman got started with with right. ASCAP. I mean you know it was just in its infancy but what happened is that 
all those people basically created it. They came together for clinical reasons. And I have to say that the one shining star that Omnicare had that I think, again, we got ahead of a few people was when we purchased home care, we got Tim Bean. Yeah. Tim was relentless in talking about we needed to make sure we were a clinical organization. We were the first ones to produce a geriatric formulary. Yep. Now, nobody had to follow it. It wasn't like, you know, well, this is the only drugs we have. But I think that formulary made a lot of our clinical people, particularly our consultants, feel comfortable that when we recommended that maybe this would be a good drug for congestive heart failure, it was being done not because of what we wanted financially, but because it was best for the clinicians. And I remember having a talk with a lot of consultant pharmacists when it first came out, and they would say to me, well, I don't think that this is the best drug for, say, congestive heart failure. I said, great. Get your literature together, submit it to the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, because they're the ones that make the decision. Right. And if they agree with you, we'll change the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> so we tried to take away that this was a profit-making thing, and this was intended to make sure that the patients in the facilities got the best care. And remember, and this isn't just true for Omnicare, but for all consulting pharmacists, what is the number one recommendation every single month? DCing drugs. Mm -hmm. Polish pharmacy is a problem for the elderly. Well, if all you were caring about was basically profit, why would you ever have an organization that is discontinuing drugs where you make money on? But you need to do it because it ultimately gets down to if you aren't doing what's right for the patient, if you aren't doing what's right for that nurse and that administrator, you shouldn't be in the business. A hundred percent. Well said. For sure. Well said. Pat, I have a uh, story that, you know, as as I I worked there and cut my teeth as a snot-nosed pharmacist back in the day. And of course, you you were a huge mentor of mine. And you're actually the reason why I got my MBA. You called me up one day and said, I think you can go places, but you can't go very far without getting your MBA. And so I went and did that. And I I always appreciate that advice. But there's actually a a story I want to see if if you remember. Do you remember back? I can't remember what year it was, but probably early 2000s about the stolen med cart. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do remember that, right? <laughs> so I, I got Chad doesn't know the I don't know the, the story. story. So so I want to tell you because <laughs> tell the story because it's your story. <laughs> <laughs> and this is again from from my perspective, from my experience here. But I can't remember if I, I I don't think I was at Omnicare six months. And again, I was probably in my you know mid uh, to late twenties, and and certainly new to long term care, and you know. Pat Keith and Joger Munder, I mean, they 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 were, you know, yeah. up there in that at that ivory tower. And so, you know, I was new and we didn't really have much interaction. And and uh we were servicing a nursing home a couple hours away. Several nursing homes a couple hours away, but this one specifically is about two and a half hours away. And they were over the time zone. So they were on Eastern time and and we were we were on central time. The pharmacy is on central time. I got a call about midnight. And it was a national count home, by the way. And, and I got a call about midnight 
from a screaming director of nursing and said, my med cart has been stolen <laughs> and we have no medications for the 6 a.m. med pass. I need meds. And I'm like, who's this? You know, like <laughs> what happened? And so, you know, what, you know, what do you do? And yeah. in, in that situation, of course, these are all unit dose 30 day bingo cards and and MedCart probably has 30 patients in it with 10 to 12, you know, bingo carts each, not to mention the insulins and, and inhalers and whatnot. So, of course, I call the assistant pharmacy manager and we start calling pharmacists and we get a group of people in there and and we start filling the meds. But, you know, it takes a while to hand pack. Oh, my gosh. You know, all these, all these bingo yeah. carts. We had to get a med cart out of storage. We had to prepare the med cart. And I mean, we're just. I mean, it's two, three o'clock in the morning and we're just going crazy and, and, and trying to get all this done and get a delivery driver there that, you know, that, that can put a med cart on. And about, I don't know, 5 a.m. I get a call and it was Pat Keefe. And he said, what are you doing? They don't have any meds. We, we're in an emergency. What are you guys doing? I said, Pat. We've been working all night long. I have no idea when I'm going to be able to get there. He's like, this guy's calling me that regional vice president or COO of their company was calling me. But come to find out is some, it was an inside job. Someone came in. They literally stole the cart. They rolled the, they, there was a, a docking bay. If you remember on the back door, they walked in, somehow got in the yeah. nursing home. They just pushed the med cart right out of the, uh, of the nursing home, right in, right off the docking bay into the back of a flatbed truck and took off. Unbelievable. <laughs> the whole job took about 60 seconds and we had to replace, replace all those meds. So that was one of my craziest, you know, memories. But, but you know, you were you were there trying to, to help guide and be that go-between between their corporation and ours. That's an amazing story. Well, reminiscing a little bit, I'll give you a couple of, uh, of cute stories. Uh, one of the farmers we acquired was Rations up in uh, Wisconsin. Peter Hovis and Mark Celebrate. Mark was not a pharmacist, he was a respiratory therapist. And I can remember going up there and visiting with him and Peter ran a great pharmacy. And I said to Mark, I said, you guys never lose a customer. I mean, you know, everybody else loses them from time to time. And he goes, well, we just don't. I said, why? He said, well, you know, we have the oxygen contract for the Green Bay Packers. We provide oxygen for the Green Bay Packers for both the visitors and the thing. And we have four places. We have two respiratory therapists and then we have two helpers. He said, I occasionally take a nursing homeowner as a helper. <laughs> he said, <laughs> we didn't lose it. And then, and this is even a better story. That's awesome. I, they get a new general manager for the Green Bay Packers, and he calls Mark up, and he says, you know, Mark, we're thinking about it. You guys have had this contract a long time. We're thinking about bidding it out. And Mark says, I, I don't think you're going to. And he goes, well, why not? He says, well, I have a contract with the Green Bay Packers, and it's signed by Vince Lombardi. <laughs> he said, if you want to cancel the contract, I'll be glad to tell the governor, who, by the way, is going to be in the sidelines next weekend, that you're canceling my contract. So never, we never <laughs> have a worry about That's so the great. business and rations. And they had, again, a great pharmacy, great people. And then I'll give you one on Mary Lou Fox, because, again, she was kind of the first person that really knew how to market. And this is a true story. She got a call from 
a director of nurses on Christmas Eve. And the director of nurses said, I don't have a Ducalax suppository. And Meridu said, well, we'll get you one tomorrow. She goes, no, I, you're supposed to be this great delivery company. I want the Ducalax suppository tonight. Mary Lou Fox got in her car, drove an hour and a half on Christmas Eve and gave that, that nurse a Ducalax suppository. She drove back home. Now, that's service, but here's where she shined above everybody else. The next Monday, she was in that administrator's office, and she threw a Ducalax suppository, actually the owner of a bunch of nursing homes that she serviced, threw the Ducalax suppository on a desk and said, whatever his name was, Mr. Hudson, I delivered a Ducalax suppository on Christmas Eve to one of your nurses that bitch. But I'm telling you right now, you have four other nursing homes I don't service and I want a contract tomorrow. And she got it. That's, wow. that's awesome. So what she, what she did for the pharmacist to, to make sure they didn't hide your good acts underneath a bushel basket. So many times, yeah. long-term care pharmacists, and this is in general, pharmacy in general, we do these heroic things and we say to ourselves, well, we don't want to brag about it because, you know, that's that's who we should be. No, you need to brag about it. Otherwise, people don't appreciate the extra effort pharmacists go to to deliver service to patients. That's a perfect. So that's, that's a that's that, two, two of my favorite stories. That's a perfect segue to really wrap up the episode, but also to kind of highlight what the pharmacists did in long term care during the pandemic. And we, we try to amplify those stories and get those stories out of pharmacies all the time. What did you do? We talked to the pharmacy that serviced the nursing home where the pandemic broke out in Washington state. We need to share those stories because ultimately that's where legislation changes and agency rules change and opportunity is created for long-term care pharmacies because it's not just an administrator or an owner that we're trying to now convince for a contract. Now it's the government and Medicare and recognizing the services that have been provided by these long-term care pharmacists and pharmacies and, and making sure they're fairly reimbursed for what they do. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Pat, for being on. This has been spectacular. And anybody in the audience that has listened to this episode, if you can't pull five, 10 pieces of wisdom from this and apply it to today, you must not have been listening very well. It's just been fantastic. Well, it's very nice of you to say, but again, some of what I learned is the mistakes I've made. Just try not to repeat them. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's a good lesson in life, but I got a lot of gray hair for some of the mistakes I've made and I've tried to learn from them. So I appreciate you allowing me to be on the podcast. Oh, it's great. And Pat, for me, you know, you again, I, I, I got my first experience of long-term care pharmacy, you know, working at Omnicare. And what I remember fondly about that very beginning is, is, is how kindly you treated me and how kindly you treated the people around you. And, 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 and you know, you, you are an icon uh, of this industry and the contributions that you've made to long-term care pharmacies into our industry is, is certainly unprecedented. So I want to thank you so much for you speaking into my life personally. And, and you know, I'm here where I'm at because of people, you know, like yourself. But uh, I'm sure lots and lots and lots of us can say the same thing about you and, and, and about that experience. So thank you so much for everything you've done for our industry. No, you're very kind. Thank you very much.
All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you again, Pat, for being on the show. Tom, thanks. And uh, we'll see you next time on the uh, Our Experience ASCP podcast.